please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Amen. Thanks so much. You guys can be seated tonight. That'll be our key passage uh, as we walk through the scripture this evening. Um, We're week two in a series around sin. It's uh, called The Cleanse. Part of my heart for this series and for our church is that we would be a church that in the Hebrew Bible, they describe it as tov, which is the word God used when he created the heavens and the earth. And he sat back and he said, ah, that is good. Well, what does it look like for us to be a church of goodness? For us to be a church that adds to wholeness in the world, to people's perception of what Jesus actually looks like. It's going to take each and every one of us engaging with the heart of God and inviting as much of His goodness, healing, and restoration into every bit of our lives. And together, as we walk and and work through challenges, for us to collectively show an image of what Jesus looks like on earth. This is my heart. When I look in this room, many of you guys know, and some of you don't know if you're new to the community, but this room is filled with people who are courageous, strong. You are the ones who have uh, been steadfast and haven't just drifted away. I spent uh, two and a half years in England where uh, the culture was very far past being a Christian-oriented culture that it once was. It was no longer socially beneficial to be at church. Fifteen years later, here I am here, and we're experiencing the same thing. It's no longer advantageous to your career to be a Christian. So you're here because you're knowing that there is something about Jesus. There is something about his kingdom. There is something about the words of God that bring hope like nothing else does. In this room, there's nobody that's perfect. Last week we were talking about how everybody has fallen short and we all are in need of rescue. In fact, that is why we are so grateful for forgiveness. Our key verse in this series is 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, He is just and faithful to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I want to just drift into this idea of how much goodness is God willing to pour into our lives. There are three different components to sin that we're talking about. Firstly, the sins that we commit. We asked that question last week of what do we do with what we have done? And the answer is grace, it is Jesus, it is forgiveness, it is turning and embracing Him in wholeness. Tonight we're going to be talking about what do we do about what they have done to us. How do we deal with the sins that we suffer? And next week we'll be talking about what do we do about the sin among us? How do we interact with this? The message tonight is one of uh, grace, it is one of hope, and I'm excited uh, to allow God's Word to just sit with us. Um, So, in this room we have people who are courageous, you've had different experiences, some of you have suffered rejection in the past, both in your families or in your church setting or in your um, work setting, some of you have suffered insults, some of you have experienced abandonment, deception. Manipulation, you've been lied to, taken advantage of, you've been ignored, overlooked. You've been treated as less than. Someone who is supposed to look after you has neglected you. Maybe you've even suffered mockery or ridicule or humiliation. Maybe some of you have been manipulated spiritually by a spiritual leader or emotionally in one of your relationships. Shame has been leveraged against you. You've been bullied and pushed around. You've been played with and used. What do we do with what they have done to us? I love this quote from Ronald Rollheiser. 
says this, any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. You can do family studies in sociology to see that this is in fact very, very true, that we repeat the sins of our fathers and mothers unless there's an intervention, unless we're given a different way and a different power to do something other than what we know we will simply proliferate what we have suffered, pain or tension. We as a church, we seek to be a people of goodness, a people who are uh, in alignment with God's divine vision of what he had in mind for humanity. So that is the question of the night. What do we do with what they have done? In 2 Corinthians, which is the passage that was read this evening, chapter 10, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very highly metropolitan city in the ancient world. There was a lot of trade that went on, and this society was built highly on honor and shame. And so your pecking order determined basically of whether you were honorable in society, whether people looked up to you, or whether they looked down upon you. And you could climb different social rankings of honor and shame, but their typical commodity was if you were really good at arguing, or if you were really witty at speaking, or if you could talk down your enemy or somebody else. That's how you were esteemed in that community. What was your public display? Like, could you flaunt it, and could you puff yourself up in society? It was very external. And in the reality is, oftentimes, they had this weird, quasi, um, almost superstition that if God was pleased with you, things would go well. You wouldn't suffer as much, but if things went poorly upon you, that must mean that God's not really that happy with you. And so Paul is a guy who was shipwrecked twice, whipped, beaten to the inch of his life. Like, this is a guy who has suffered. Everywhere he goes, he makes people mad. People are kicking him out. And then he's like, actually, I'm not even that impressive. If you read the first letter to the church in Corinth, or the first that we have, he's actually displaying himself against these other people who are flaunting these other super apostles, these men who like to show and use their uh, ability to talk each other down. I mean, it's not that far from today where we have social media battles and we have people who are just aggressive with each other and demolishing each other on different platforms. And it's like, whoa, is that the way we want to climb in the world? Well, Paul, he's like, no, this is not my way. They're criticizing him, going like, hey, hey, Paul, you're writing these aggressive letters when you're not with us, but then when you're with us, you're like kind of pathetic looking. You're not witty. You're not trying to, to persuade us. You're not, you're not doing tricks to try and impress us, but these other guys are. And so their message to Paul, they looked at the circumstances and said, you're getting beaten, you're getting whipped, I don't want your life, and so we should probably feel bad for you and not respect you. And so, in effect, they're looking at the circumstances, and they're saying, okay, who are you, Paul? You're nobody. God doesn't bless you. You're getting whipped and beaten, and you're not all that impressive. So you're nobody. And you see the words, excuse me, words have an ability to cut deeply, don't they? Paul could have taken the you're nobody, and it could have festered in his soul. But instead we see in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, he's not denying the fact that he has a very flesh personality. Like, yes, I am, he was, he was probably short. He probably wasn't very, like, domineering in his physical appearance, Paul. Um, and so he's like, yeah, I'm five foot whatever, and I am not aggressive, and I am not going to do the tricks to impress you. Yes, I walk in the flesh. I have my own body, yet we are not waging war according to the flesh, that this body of mine should not be giving you an indication of what I truly am. That the visual externals of me are actually not all there is to me and not really even the most essential thing to me, especially in the spiritual realm. He's saying, yes, although we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's very important for us as a community in this day and age where different tribes try and use different weapons and different tactics to take each other down. Our warfare is not a physical warfare. Our warfare is one of the spirit, where we actually face uh, uh, obstacles. We, we find these strongholds in society and we address them through the power of God. Our divine power, it has power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against Paul? No. Raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive. Captive to what? To Paul? To Jesus. You see, we are a people who believe that there was God incarnate on earth. Jesus Christ lived on this earth, this beautiful life of sacrificial suffering that was purposed for the ultimate good of our redemption. And he was, he was dragged and beaten and killed for us, yet he rose from the dead and he is seated in the heavens and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, we as followers of Jesus are supposed to integrate his rule and reign, not merely in, am I going to say bad things, do bad things, and think bad things, but no, he wants us to allow his rule and reign to actually have rulership over my thoughts. Are what I'm thinking consistent with my king? Or am I living in a world that is actually an alternative reality of my making? Or am I living in a world that's purely fleshly? I'm just living based upon the physical sight of things. We run the risk when we have a vision that is alternative to the eternal reality of Christ in that we can start living our life based upon uh, very um, temporary things when we are not temporary beings. We are eternal in Christ Jesus. Therefore, how we view things should implicate and have consistency with that. Isn't it crazy how thoughts, they don't just happen, they can actually take us captive. Have you ever had a thought that it comes to your mind and you're just like, whoa, oh my gosh, right? Uh, in the past, I went through a season of deep depression, anxiety, a number of years ago. And, and my mind was almost like a, a prison cell of just thoughts and circular thoughts. It was such like the darkest season of my life. And so thoughts really do have the power to captivate our mind and actually serve as a filter where everything we view is viewed through that thought. Okay, So follow me. Our mind is a place for King Jesus to rule. If you were to go back to 1988, some of you weren't born. I hate you. Um, I was like kindergarten age, um, as well as I can figure it out. I, I think I was kindergarten. Um, and it's one of the earliest memories I have. When I was in kindergarten, I was super active. Like to mess around. Uh, I had this thing called ADD. They didn't know what it was at this point. And so I was just the crazy kid at school. And so I was always in trouble, always hanging out in recess, during recess, inside with my teacher. My teacher was uh, like a second year um, teaching student, um, and she, she was in over her head with me. Uh, that's okay. Um, but I, I just remember every day of just being with my head down, at my desk during recess when all my friends were playing outside and it was literally the only time I could let my energy out, right? And so I'm just like, my legs are dancing under the table. And, like, and you know, and after a number of days, I felt, I felt, I didn't, I didn't even realize what was going on, but I overheard this call from the teacher. And it was after a number of days of, of this, and I overheard her calling the principal one day and I remember her saying, I can't stand this kid anymore. 
And at the time, I was like, ah, that's fine, whatever. I didn't, I didn't, didn't really think much about it other than like, mom, this is what she said. And like, and then I got moved out of her class. And so I remember at that point, I was like, I just like, it was almost like a, a card. I can't stand him anymore. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a problem. And, and so I went, okay. Okay. And as time went on, I, I continued to try and figure out. They were like, we don't know what's wrong with this kid. Let's take him off sugar. They gave me NutraSweet, which is even worse for an ADD kid. I'm like, ha, 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 sucker. They took the sugar away. Christmas morning, my brother's getting stocking full of candy. I'm getting nuts because I'm a problem. At home, my mom struggled with a lot of her own anxiety and internal stuff. And my brother is 18 months older than me, and so we fought like cats and dogs. I did it just for the attention, right? Any attention is good attention. I was younger, he was older, and frequently my mom would say or yell, just go outside and you can come back when it's dinner time. We had three and a half acres, so it wasn't the worst. But I was like, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. I'm a problem. Continuing on, okay, we don't know what this kid, the, the NutraSweet's not working, so we'll take him to a psychiatrist. So they take me to a psychiatrist, and he's like, fascinating. I'm like, that's not a good thing to hear, all right? My brother, he, uh, he, writes, he writes the book. And this doctor looks at the book, and he says, oh, we've never had a first-person experience of somebody working with someone with hyperactivity before. My brother's like 10 years old, and it was like, why is my brother so mean was the title of the book. It got published in a psychiatrist uh, journal. So somewhere there's a book about me, why I'm so mean, uh, because I'm a problem. So it makes sense, right? I remember in high school, I used to just, I hated, I loved basketball. I spent hours and hours practicing shots in my driveway. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, it was gravel for the longest time. I didn't care. I still went for it, you know? And you'd lower it down, you'd do some jams, like, you know what I'm saying? But I remember when it came time for the actual season, I hated basketball. Not because I wasn't fast. I was fast. Not because I wasn't a hard worker. I worked harder than everybody else. But I could not get my head around the place. Like, I just, I, I couldn't do it. And I was always, like, stumbling into someone else's spot, and it was embarrassing. And so I used to sit on the bench just not even wanting to play. Like, Coach, please don't put me in. And once again, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm a, I'm a problem, right? Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. I didn't know until years on in my own like uh, healing process how some of these things, silly little things, none of those make any sense. You're all listening like, really? Yeah, I don't know. What, what's your sticker? What's your thing that something happened and it's something that's just so easy to go, yeah, that's me. A circumstance around you. Satan's ploy, I love this from Lee Cummings. His ploy is to make the pain and the trauma and the lies get to you so that you accept it, so that it can build a stronghold so that you exchange God's truth for a situational lie. If we look at our situation around us and look for identity or an indication of whether we are broken or good or bad or acceptable, the circumstances around us are really, really bad judges of where we stand and what we're like. We must take our thoughts captive, or they will captivate us. 
If you think about this, Jesus had to do it himself. In, in Matthew chapter um, 4, we're told that he goes out into the wilderness after he's baptized. The Father, the Father, as he's baptized, he comes out of the water, the dove, and God's like, This is my Son, in whom I am well, well pleased. Identity. Jesus immediately goes out into the wilderness where we're told in verse 3 of chapter 4, And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But then Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do we understand that God's words are intended to be life-giving to us? They're intended to be formative and edifying. They're intended to draw out within us the very essence of what God put into us. Therefore, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, or sorry, 10, 2 Corinthians 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are places of lies. Lies that have marked our lives. And they can become places of strength and truth. But they must be toppled. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Some of you go, hey man, I feel guilty. The knowledge of God says, 1 John 1 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you feel guilty, have you confessed your guilt to God, and do you believe what he says that you are forgiven and cleansed? You see, this is how we combat this, this lie. I'm not, I don't feel forgiven. I don't know if I'm forgiven. No, no. Counteract the strongholds that God says is true and let them do the work of destructing the lies that say that we are unworthy of being forgiven. Jesus countered every challenge to his identity and his person with the words of God and it became internal to him. How do we make our thoughts captive? We make them submit to Jesus and the knowledge of God. Guilt is described as the legal state that results from having violated the law, thus rendering one liable to penalty. You see, guilt is, is different than shame. Shame comes as a result of doing something wrong, and it's intended to be a gift from God. It's like a foghorn, one author says, that's calling out saying, hey, something is wrong, and, and you can't see the direction you're going, but there are jagged rocks that if you continue to go the direction you go, you are going to shipwreck. This is what guilt and shame do. Positive shame. There is another kind of shame that is called toxic shame or unhealthy shame. I have a quote here um, that we're going to look into. Unhealthy or toxic shame, on the other hand, as opposed to healthy shame, it can never redeem. It can only or corrode and destroy. Um, for the recipient, toxic shame often feels very similar to healthy shame, but it is based on lies and distortions about God, sin, our worth, and our redeemability. The distortions may be subtle or outrageous, but the result is the same. Toxic shame distorts our sense of dignity as divine image bearers and drives us away from God. Toxic shame distorts reality by going beyond convicting us that we've done bad things that we need to be forgiven, it whispers to us that we are bad and unforgivable. Instead of pointing out real sin, we can address toxic shame distorts our sin and our worth and God's grace so that we can do nothing but hide in the shadows. There is a toxicity to shame that has to do with not merely what you've done, but who you are. And Satan wants nothing more than for us to adopt his vision of who we are.
The worst aspect of pain, the author goes on and says, or the worst aspect of toxic shame is that it isolates us from God, from others, and even ourselves. If you've felt this shame at any point, we have to recognize that it will isolate us not merely from others, but also from God and ourselves. We can feel at a difference or a distance from ourselves where who we are being perceived as or how the world is forcing us to view the world feels so counter to who we really are that it becomes a a source of pain. Self-hatred becomes normative. Yet in the midst of these feelings of toxic shame that are all around us, the knowledge of God says this, 1 John 3.19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. There will be times where you go before God and you've already walked down the line. Have I sinned? Did I do something wrong? No, I don't think I did, but I still feel this brokenness, this awful residue within me that makes me want to run from God's presence. My heart is disturbed, even though I've done everything I can think of and accepted Jesus' grace. Paul goes on to say, for whenever your heart, our heart condemns us, know this, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Man, it is possible for your heart to be convinced that you are unworthy and unforgivable, unredeemable and an outcast, a disgrace and dirty beyond repair. But your heart is not ultimate. God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our hearts. Our hearts and emotion can be a good indicator, but they aren't the truest test of what is ultimately real. The Word of God becomes the very source of what we hold tight to, even when what we feel, experience, and the circumstances around us are telling us one thing. We have to live by faith and not by sight. We have to incorporate God's words and take them as an affront against the strongholds in our minds. The knowledge of God says, 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And this is where we're going to sit a little bit this evening, is not merely the forgiveness. Forgiveness is a debt canceled between you and God. Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt, so when you trust Him and say, God, I could never pay this debt, yet somehow I believe you sent your Son to stand in my place and to pay what I couldn't pay, and then allowing Him to exchange places where I get to live and not merely just an ongoing, boring, terrible life of survival, but live like I was created to. Born again to a new way of viewing the world, to eternal living, we are told that we are able to be forgiven one thought. The second thought is that we are able to be cleansed. We'll continue this conversation next week, but tonight we're just going to be talking about the idea that God doesn't merely want to settle up debt with you. Okay, now now you're not indebted to me. Great. Come on to heaven. He wants to actually service our hearts, our conscience. Because it's one thing to be forgiven a debt, but then it's another thing to be at peace with ourselves. With the knowledge that, man, I deserve X, Y, Z. You see, God not only wants you to be forgiven and go, like, great, I'm not in debt, but He also wants you to feel what it is to be perfectly cleansed. Where there's no residual of the sin of yourself, nor the sins of others. Oh, it's so easy to pick up the residual darkness from other people. Everybody's willing to give you a label, to give you a name, to put you in your place, and to control you and manipulate you into living in a certain way so that you fit in their world. Everybody. Lots of people want to do that. But that's not living in wholeness. We're only living in wholeness when we walk in alignment with who God says we are. You see, biblical confession is is this. 
Biblical confession is not merely saying, I've done wrong. That's one form of confession. Biblical confession is to open expression. It is an open expression of what is in your heart. It can be, yes, sin. God, I have sin in my heart. and I'm so sorry I bring it before you. I take what's here and I voice it into your presence. Confession. But also praise. God, I love you and, and, I, and I have this joy in me that I just, I just want to not just feel it inside. I got, God, I need to sing a song to you. I need to express to you, God, you are so good to me. Confession. It's also, I believe, Jesus, that you are God of God. Come to live among us. That you died and were raised from the dead. And because of you, I now have eternal life in your care. Confession. And it's also belief. It's acknowledging what's really going on inside of yourself. To confess that you are walking under the darkness of things in your life, whether it's labels or things that have happened to you or circumstances that have confused you. There is something about confessing it before God that allows it to come into His presence and He promises that if there's anything that's in need of forgiveness, oh yeah, totally. Thank you for bringing it into my presence. You bring it into my presence, you, you turn from it, and you, you bring it there, I will forgive whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But if there's anything that is dirty, in need of being cleaned, washed away, the promise is there as well. For he is just and faithful to not merely forgive, but to cleanse. Cleanse all the areas of our life. The knowledge of God says this, we need to be aware of the strongholds in our life. The areas that we harbor, darkness and brokenness, that are unworthy of us as sons and daughters of the King. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and stand in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, or sorry, authorities, and against cosmic powers over the present age of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle at large. And the battlefield is your heart. The weapons of darkness are lies, accusations, poison. And the weapons of the kingdom is the truth of the gospel. The power of God at work among men to create new life where there is death. The knowledge of God says this, Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with true with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts, listen, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How is it that you engage with what they have done to you? Have there been pockets of bitterness that you've sealed away because you've been treated like nothing should be treated? Have you been treated the same way often enough that you started collecting cards? And so you've just made it your identity. You're like, yeah, I, I, I get stepped on. That's me. I'm the, I'm the punching bag. I'm a pushover. What do you do with what they have done? Because any tension or pain that is un, 
transferred or translated or what was the word? Transformed, thank you. I need the help. That is not transformed, is transmitted. I don't know about you, but I want to weed out the stuff in my life that, that makes me show up with residue. You know? I want to see God cleanse and remove and refine and redeem and restore and heal every bit of my life. It's inevitable that we're going to engage with mistreatment from others. The tendency is for you to have their shame transferred into your lap. One of the most powerful things that, has, uh, that I've done in the last couple years is acknowledging that the mistreatment that I've suffered in my life, and I'm not even scratching the surface of what I shared with you tonight, it's not because I am a shameful person or I'm not worthy of being cared for or whatever. The shame doesn't belong to me. And if you've been mistreated and sinned against, the shame isn't yours to carry. So why do we walk away from being mistreated by others and often feel gross, wrong, guilty? Why? It's illegitimate. Satan likes to take those moments where you come close with darkness and you see it and you feel it. And he likes to, to get that to stick to you as if it's your own. And so tonight we're going to reject the shame that the world would stick to us because of what we've suffered. Like I said at the beginning, some of you have suffered many things. People have treated you like garbage. Some of you haven't suffered much. Thank you. It's great. But what if you were able to take some of those things that have happened to you and instead of carrying them around and when whatever happens, the face, the person, you see their car drive by. Oh. It reminds you. Or, or you go down that street, or you hear someone with that name, and he goes, oh, there's pain there. Why? What if we were curious about the toxicity within us without the fear that we've done something wrong, but in fact it's an indication that that is a place that God's redemption wants to break in to forgive any misdeed. Who cares? Sin is not the issue anymore. Sin is not the issue. Jesus took care of the issue of sin. The issue is that death is within us. And Jesus came to get the death out of you. For new life to come in. So please don't make peace with this darkness and confusion within you. Bring it to Jesus and go like, I don't know what to do with this. But I know you're good and you'll forgive and you'll cleanse. I can't tell you the power of the Spirit when I was able to write out the different things where I felt shame associated with someone else's treatment of me. I felt bad. Just to write it down and go, this was not my fault. This was not my shame to carry anymore. This is their shame. And to just list it out. And instead of carrying it around with me, just... And even close my eyes and be like, okay, man, you treated me bad. Okay, mm -hmm. put it all in there. This doesn't belong to me anymore. Here. Leave it with the person. Not really. Don't do that. <laughs> be awkward. Purge yourself of this darkness that you're carrying. It's not yours. It is residue. Satan wants you to carry it like your own because he wants to poison your spirituality. And so that's what this is. This, that's tonight.
That's what this is. Okay. Pause. How are we doing? How are we doing? Questions? We're going to do an exercise where I'm going to encourage you to take a few minutes. Jason's going to come up and he's going to play something really cute, like really just draws out all of the feelings in you. You got a piece of paper there and a pen. Um, I, I don't really have much interest in creating a church that's big or whatever. What I want is people to encounter God's healing. That's all. So this is what I, I live for. And so I encourage you, please participate. And with that piece of paper, if you need a pen, we've got extras up here. Um, anybody pen? Can you help me pass out pens? Thank you. And we got extra papers up here too. Some of you guys got some long lists. I know. So the idea is to try and put God or take God at His word. What if? What if you were able to leave this place, see that person drive by, or go to that city, or remember that season in life, and have the ability to not be sucked into this vortex of darkness? And I'm not talking about, oh, forgive and forget. Now, forgiveness is part of this. Part of the reason forgiveness is difficult is because some of the stuff that you're supposed to forgive has caused you deep pain and it's added a label to your life. You made me become this. And I will never forgive you for that. But what if that's not your core identity? What if you can be free from the weight, the residue, the pain? You won't forget, but you'll remember it in a different way. So tonight I'm just going to invite you to take a few minutes. And as you do, just invite the Spirit. And is there any, any area of my life that brings this visceral pain. How could he? I know this is tough to go. Places to go. And this is just going to be a, a place for probably the next 30 minutes we'll worship, but don't rush it. Ask the Lord to show you places that he could bring cleansing.
identify some spaces. Anybody stuck? Not sure where to start, or just have a question. area of being spiritually renewed some of these things are tricky they are literally strongholds in your life they won't fall easily some of you may be able to identify label that you've received but you don't know what to do with it it is enough to simply start where you are and write whatever you have some of you may just need to take the time and write down one or two most painful things that you've experienced. And just bring it before God. Say, God, this wasn't right. And allow His Spirit to hold that moment with you. say, Jesus, would you please wash this moment clean? Let your presence change this memory for you. to a time of communion, I want to encourage you, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that the mindfulness of taking communion is significant. That the bread that's been broken and the cup that's been poured are symbols of a beautiful picture of the pulling apart of the perfect one for us. And we're told that His blood cleanses our conscience. So before you take communion, I'm going to encourage you to just walk through this last week and allow and invite Jesus' cleansing to wash over moments of confusion, regret, sorrow. God cleanse and name the things God cleanse me of that cleanse me so as you're ready during the next few songs I'll encourage you to come and take communion but really invite the Holy Spirit to do His beautiful work that only He can do that you may enjoy the joy of being made new. God, I just thank you that you're here with us, that your spirit is gentle yet strong. Is eager yet patient. Lord, I pray that there would be a a purging of that which is ugly and doesn't belong to our future. 
would you make us new through your miraculous work, Jesus? Amen. Feel free as you come up. You can leave your cards in here. I won't read them, but it can be a tangible way of literally like casting away that which God never intended for you to hold and carry. Okay? So as we do that, let that be a helpful piece.